Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets, ideas change the world. One of the unique things in business I'll never forget, um, when I was trying to get funding as a startup one year, uh, one of this gray-haired venture capitalists listened to me, listened to my background, was trying to determine whether he wanted to invest in me. And he said, uh, Ron, you, you've been successful in everything you've touched. But what concerns me is how you lead through failure. And I went, what? He goes, I'm a little concerned investing in you because I've never, you have never told a story about your failures. You only have told a story about your successes. And I got to thinking of that, especially when I deal with people in the risk, resilience, and security industry, because risk is something that we're always trying to get in front of, but inevitably something's going to happen. And I was really intrigued how we explore the mindset of leaders in uh, risk, resilience, and security. Guy Beveridge is a gentleman I've run into recently, background in military and civil operations, a trainer, a speaker, a professional security consultant. All of that is stuff you can look into if you research Guy Beveridge. But when I briefly was introduced to him, what came out is this unique intersection between leadership and security. And so today we're just going to sit at my fireplace with a little drink of something, something. And Guy, welcome to the great conversation. Hey, Ron, thanks for having me here. This is fantastic. Yeah, it is. It is. It's fantastic because I get to kind of get into your head a little bit and in, enjoy your perspective, your learnings and so forth. So when I say, Guy, the intersection of leadership and security or leadership and risk, what comes to mind for you? You know, it's, I, I think it's so vitally important that leaders understand this in whether you're a small business, medium business, large business, leaders, leaders, great, the great leaders in business know how to manage risk as well as opportunity. And those that get it right, they outlast or surpass their competition. That's just the plain and simple of it. <laughs> that's the plain and simple, a little bit more complex of that, or otherwise people wouldn't hire you. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, it's kind of you got to buy the book to know what's in it, right? <laughs> <laughs> but let's let, let's explore that because um, you know, consider this. You're right. The preamble to the book. And by the way, what's the book called? Well, right now I'm I'm working on a couple different books. I'm working on a uh, a guide for church protectors because I think that's an underserved market. We have so many of these churches around the nation. Uh, I, th I think there's an estimation of 385,000 churches, and they're trying to stand up safety and security while also serving their customer, right? And, they, and there's a certain way to do that. And uh, and then also Leadership Before Crisis is another book that I'm working on. Uh, let's let's touch on this. Yeah, you know, you serve commercial companies, but you really highlight and focus on what I call um uh, servant leaders in education, hospitals, and churches. And you're absolutely right. You have a unique relationship with the faith-based community. And I, I just love it. If you, uh, if the community, by the way, if all of you are listening, if you go to protectorstoolkit.com, first thing you'll see is a question. 
And it says, have you prayerfully considered the catastrophic results of not preparing for an unforeseen event? That's just not something pastors think about. No, it's not. You know, even through seminary or biblical colleges, they don't get a course on safety and security. And so they hit the mission field largely unprepared. They're, they're very prepared in, in biblical studies and theological uh, debates and thoughts, but they, they run into a couple of different things. And number one, either they inherit a church safety and security team, or they don't even have one and don't know that one is even needed. Um, and then even on the, on the Guy Beverage and Associates page for the, for the commercial clients, uh, we're, we're very quick to say risk doesn't have to turn into crisis. That's correct. So uh, you do talk a lot about predictive risk and predict uh, getting in front of that curve. Tell me, tell me what that looks like. You know, a lot of what we do in the safety and security space in businesses, we we largely perform from lagging performance indicators, right? So you can look at your OSHA rate, you can look at all the past injuries in your business, and those are all lagging performance indicators. And what we're trying to get to is, is like you said, predictive analysis, um, you know, kind of, uh, I equate it to minority report, you know, that great Tom Cruise uh, documentary training video <laughs> where, you know, we wanna, we wanna try to predict future performance. But one of, the, one of the ways that helps us or one of the easiest things we can do in future performance prediction is getting the leadership right first. You want to have your leadership right before crisis. That way, hopefully through and at the end, you prevail all the way through and have a great resolution or as, as good a resolution as possible at the end. I'm, uh, I'm big into scorecards, Guy. I'm, I, I think I always try to turn everything into a scorecard, so I'm going to do it with you and Again, uh, as everyone knows, this is unscripted, so this can be fun. Uh, but but if if I did my old, you know, here are the three things, seven things, you know, it's got to be three, seven or something, right? Sure. Well, uh, that is indicative that you are a leadership. Uh, you have the leadership quotient, if you will, the creds to lead not only a company before a crisis, but after a crisis, what would that leadership mindset look like? Uh, on the beginning side of it, it's really investing in your people. You know, the, I think right now you, you can't turn on the news and, and not hear about cybersecurity. Uh, and most businesses are, you know, they've kind of shifted their thought towards cybersecurity and putting their dollars, time and energy into preventing that. But a lot of what they're missing is the human connection side of that, or, you know, in the military, we call it human, right? Human intelligence. That, that side of risk mitigation is, is so vitally important, uh, not only to, let's say, the active shooter, um, the active killer events in their business, but also for cybersecurity, because um, pretty much 60, you know, 60% or somewhere around that number, 65 maybe, of the cybersecurity is from internal attacks. And there's a lot of different reasons for that, but a lot of it is the lack of leadership or at least the perception of uh, lack of leadership within that. So just in the cybersecurity space alone, but as a holistic business, when we invest in our people, then our people make a choice then to invest in us. And, and what, I, what I kind of equate it to is the reason, the reason you buy a cell phone, whether you're an Apple guy or an Android guy, you're pretty much either an Apple guy or an Android guy. Very rarely do you see one crossover uh, unless it's business related. You just have to have an Apple for security or whatever. Uh, Android people stay in the Android lane. iPhone people stay in the iPhone lane. 
And it's because that company didn't just sell you a phone. They sell, they sold you a feeling and they sold you that feeling, which number one makes you feel good about their product. So you'll keep buying it over and over again. And you'll invest in that product. You'll tell everybody about it and you'll recruit people to that product. So now imagine that putting that in a business sense, when you talk about your holistic safety and security program, if you made people feel good about that program, that we're, that we're inside that program, how much would they be recruited to that program? How much would they promote that program? And then what could you expect as far as lead, following your leader through a crisis and knowing, hey, I'm going to be okay on the other side? Wow, that's terrific. And especially in this day and age where you know, the culture, if you will, going through a pandemic, there's a lot of questions about employees feeling engaged, feeling connected to the leadership of companies. Uh, I just saw in the news today uh, where this uh, store owner came to work and every one of their employees had left and put a sign on the door saying, we don't feel cared for. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think I posted something like that on LinkedIn not too long ago as well. I think it was a, a Dollar General or one of the Dollar uh, franchises. And and we're seeing that more and more. Um, the, the employee is, is empowered for themselves now more than ever. And if it, you know, one of the best things you can do is invest in your employees, especially in their safety and security, because when they feel connected to the organization, when they feel the organization really cares about their safety and security, well, number one, they're going to reinvest back into the company. You know, mm. we're all looking for safety and security in every public space that we go to. We're looking for it. We want it. We ex It's an expectation. And sometimes when we don't see it, then that's enough for us not to spend our dollars, time and energy in that location. So that stat you gave on 60, 65% of cyber incidents that actually come from an insider threat, if you will. I wonder what percent of that 60 to 65% are people feeling just not engaged with their company. You have any ideas on that? I'd say it's pretty high. I'd say it's about two thirds, three quarters even. Mm -hmm. um, it was just malicious intent. I'm not connected here anymore. This business hasn't, hasn't fed me in the right way, so to speak. Um, so I'm, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to take it into my own hands. And so what, what's the other side of that then? These are, these are just the inadvertent actors, the people that log on the websites, they shouldn't be at work, maybe um, giving away their passwords. <laughs> you know, one of the, one of the best uh, advertisements for cybersecurity was, um, was that Patrick Swayze movie Ghost, where he gave away his password to that guy early on in the movie. And of course he used it for malicious intent. And uh, then we have Patrick Swayze's sitting there doing, um, doing some pottery <laughs> as a ghost form, right? That's right, that's right. I want to touch on again, though, um, I've come alongside CEOs and helped them with building a business model, a business strategy that would feed them their go-to-market plan, their marketing department's messaging, their uh, HR, and uh, how they actually build up their organizational strength through their people. So I've seen it all from all those different perspectives, but you... And, and I really urge everyone listening to this to, to go to guybeverage.com. You think leadership, you, you, you mentioned at the very beginning that leaders navigate risk and opportunity, not just security leaders, the business leaders do. And, um, and do you in your engagements engage the business leaders as, as well as the security leaders? 
I do. I do. But, you know, I, I think you've probably experienced this too, Ron, is when, when there, there's some, there is in the security industry, I'll say there's somewhat of a Peter principle. That is, I've excelled to my highest level of incompetence. I hate to put it that way, but, um, and so when I get into that position, when I've excelled to my highest level of incompetence, then I'm stagnant. Uh, complacency is built into my program. I am the guy or gal everybody has to come through for safety and security. Uh, so what I say is golden, what I say will go. And, and, and so we stop growing in that sometimes. And I, and I see this time and time again in businesses where the safety and security manager, they're now, now they're, they're managing and juggling a whole bunch of things. They're keeping a lot of plates spinning in the air, so to speak. But in reality, if they would get outside themselves and, and be humble enough to say, okay, you know what? I don't know everything. And maybe, maybe a third party, uh, a contractor can come in and they can, and they can kind of preach into what I'm trying to get moving in our organization. And really those, those guys and gals that understand that and they realize, Hey, you know what? I don't know everything. Um, there are, there are new TTPs of the enemy out there. Um, so I'm going to bring someone else in who has specialty knowledge in this, has battlefield, maybe real world experience in this. And I'm going to lean on them to further my message and get my programs further and further along. And then on the leadership side, I, I think they are, they are looking for that new, how can I be proactive enough, right? I want to have uh, the right amount of objective planning and everything I do and not have subjective responses to everything. So how do we do that? But we have to do it in a way that also um, speaks to everybody in the organization because not everybody is a safety and security manager, but everybody has responsibility for safety and security within the organization. Oh, that's perfect. Cause there is some common language, the thread that connects all of us. And then there's some very specific language, depending on who you're talking to. If he's talking to the whole company or she's talking to the whole company, there's some common language there. Uh, but if I'm talking specifically to the supply chain organization or to security, risk, resilience, and security, there's some specific language there. So you help them with articulating those messages at the macro and the micro. Yes, absolutely. Because if you think about it, everybody has a role to play in safety and security, and everybody has a role to play within leadership. No matter what your position is within your organization, you're a leader. Whether you're only a leader for yourself that day, you're still a leader. Or whether you lead a team of 5, 15, 20, 100, you are a leader for those people too. But you also have someone above you that is leading you. So when you, when you have that intersection of leadership and safety and security, I think you develop a, a more well-rounded, holistic program that everybody knows their affected level and everybody is trained to their affected level. You know, it, it strikes me when you're speaking, uh, especially in this era of rapid change, uh, we hear the term digital transformation going on. So we're, we're in rapid change, socioeconomic business models, economies, uh, you know, climate change. We're going through all these different stress points all at once. It's being thrown at us all at once. And more than ever, we need leaders who can navigate the emotional incongruity from that. Uh, and I was thinking it back to the scorecard. Uh, I was thinking first, you're going to look for evidence of how they're investing in their people. Uh, sometimes actions speak louder than words. The second thing you're looking for is a it, it sounds like, is a, um, a growth mindset in the leaders. That is, I may not know anything or nothing about a particular subject, 
but I'm either going to grow into that or I'm going to hire people outside my, my comfort level who can bring me that perspective. Is that right? Do we have, we have two good scorecard items now? Absolutely. Yep. Those are great because it is, it is the, the humility has to play a role in safety and security and leadership. It's necessary. Well, let's talk transparency then. So we got humility, right? And now let's go to transparency. How do you coach them? Think about it uh, before a crisis, during a crisis, after a crisis, because they're all interesting ways you're communicating. Before a crisis, um, are you telling them you're doing your best to be safe and secure, but uh, uh, during a crisis, are you sharing everything? Uh, on what you're doing are in and around the crisis. And so go be, go through those three different levels on how a leader should be communicating. Well, that's, that's the word in itself right there is communication. It's, it's critical in, in the before the during and the after. And I think in a lot of times when we hear the word communication, we think that means us speaking a lot, especially as leaders. I have to be speaking all the time. I have to be dumping all this information. I have to give all the stats, all the mathematicals. Uh, and really people through uh, before a crisis, that's great to say, hey, you know why we're doing this training is because of X, Y, and Z. Um, we, we know that there's a higher propensity for violence in the workplace uh, than, there, than there is maybe in churches, you know. And, and during a crisis, we, all, we think, well, we need to tell them just what they need to know. We don't want to overhype it. We don't want to underhype it. And we'll just trickle out the information. And then after the crisis, well, here's what you need to know to get better. In, in reality, when we're talking about communication, either before, during, or after crisis, people being what they are, everybody has fears inside themselves. And people want to expose those fears if you let them. And so as a leader in the safety and security space or a leader of a group of people, the best communication sometimes is in just remaining quiet. One of the things I'll show an audience, um, whether it's a C-suite or um, it's, it's mid-level managers, I'll show them my friend Quiet Coyote. And essentially it's my, my two middle fingers, my, my ring finger and my middle finger uh, pushed against my thumb and my two outside fingers looking like ears. And that's the vision for Quiet Coyote. He has one mouth, it's closed, and he has two ears, which are open, which is a great illustration for leaders. Leaders need to be able to listen because then you can start developing your communication plans and be specific to the needs of the people you're communicating to. Let's just be very clear. <laughs> what Guy just said is quiet coyote, not wily coyote. <laughs> no, no, that's trademarked, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, I'm smiling right now, everyone. And, and Guy, I, I, think, I think you just nailed it. The, the final thing in the scorecard is you're not the chief executive officer. That E stands for the chief experience officer. Does that sound right? Absolutely. That's right. And, and you have to also know you may not have it all. And, and if somebody else does, then you, you give them the microphone, you give them the platform, you give them the audience, you turn it over to them, you know, and, and that's very, that's very symbolic in itself. If you're the CEO and you don't have the answer that people are looking for, and you're able to hand over your podium, that tells the audience that, hey, this guy that we look to to run this whole company is saying that this next guy he's giving the podium to has the information that he doesn't have, and he trusts that person. 
this has been such a great conversation. Uh, I'm coming away with this. Uh, I've always said we navigate as leaders risk and opportunity, but I love how you're actually putting the right tools in their hands, the right tools in the toolbox to really create a, um, an identity in their organization that's around the experience uh, and having people be, be able to share their feelings so they can move to a common experience of feeling safe and secure. Thank you, Guy Beveridge, for a great conversation. Thanks, Ron.